0: My name is
1: Chris Lambert. And my name is Travis Bean. And on today's episode, we gush over the timeless classic, The Princess Bride. Of course, the characters and acting are amazing, but more than anything, we're fascinated by the film's commentary on fairy tales and the ability for stories to transcend and connect generations.
0: Movies! Great movies! Mm Mm-hmm. Today, we are gathered... To talk about a great movie. Man, I would love,
1: I'm not a church going fellow, but I would attend a church where you're the preacher and you introduce sermons that way. <laughs> just the the church of film. Ah, man, that's a great idea. Like that, that should be the end goal of Film Colossus is to make a church for film. <laughs> and you're the Everybody. head priest and I'm just like, I'm an altar boy, but I help.
0: Yeah, and we don't we don't have service on Sunday. We have service Thursday nights. Yep, we do a we do a whole service and then we watch a new release movie. And we do Thursday nights because in the
1: future I assume we're gonna finally have a universal standard four day work week.
0: So Thursday nights when you party. Oh yeah, start that always confused me when I got to college, <laughs> and everybody was partying on Thursday night. I was like, don't you all still have class on Friday? Why is Thursday? such a a go hard day and it was like that all four years it was like that when i studied abroad in australia thursday it was
1: i remember my senior year although i'm blanking on it now i actually can't remember i either had class two days a week or three days a week it might have just been tuesday thursday (laughs) but every day was every weekend was a four-day weekend that's pretty good yeah that's a great schedule you had <laughs> yeah it, when you get to that point and you know you can just like you're doing the bare minimum to get through like that's when you know you've made it oh yeah senior year of college can be a great time
0: <laughs> oh man I
1: had a great film class I that you took at night like you would like travel across campus and like you to go for three hours once a week we watched a lot of good movies in that class I remember that's where I first saw Suspiria
0: yeah that was one of my favorite classes too I think we had one day of or two days of classes and one night that was the the movie night each week and oh. there was a, a Cinematech near campus as well mm. and sometimes we'd see a movie in like Cinematech so I got to see Seven Samurai like that the first time I saw it was like on the big screen that's badass it was really cool um, and then Princess Bride the movie that we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. I watched it the first time, the most miserable way that you could watch it movie, which was on the little wheeled in TV in high school. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. In like a literature
1: class or something?
0: Yeah, it was like sophomore year, I think, or junior year. And the teacher wanted to show us Princess Bride and, you know, in Ohio, in Canal Fulton, Ohio, in two thousand three, two thousand four, you still had the wheeled in T V on the carts that was just a boxy ass TV that was probably bought in the early nineties. They had that never 80s. state, Chris. It wasn't an Ohio thing. I know. I know. But <laughs> I feel like I feel like some some people listening to this probably had, you know, flat screen TVs that were <laughs> mounted in the classroom. Maybe these days. Uh, but we did not have that so in, wash it on there i mean and i remember t- ohio yeah. definitely still has those box tvs oh 1000 <laughs> i uh i remember how excited other kids in the class were yeah about watching princess bride and i really identified with fred savage <laughs> because you didn't want to watch it yeah, before the movie, I was just like, it's called The Princess Bride. <laughs> like, okay, this is going to be, like, stupid. And <laughs> especially I saw the cover, and I was like, that's not, like, an interesting cover. This is going to be lame. This sounds like Chris cool. today. Yeah. <laughs> I read cool <laughs> fantasy books, because at that point, I was reading, you know, Game of Thrones, when nobody knew what Game of Thrones was. I was mm-hmm. reading Stephen King's Dark Tower series. I was reading... I remember that uh, a, a bunch of other fantasy books, like the Sword of truth wheel of time. Well, more people know wheel of time now, but the good version of wheel of time, uh, all kinds of things. So I'm like princess bride <laughs> and uh, I watched it and was just enamored completely. Oh in really? First, like from the very beginning, I felt very seen by Fred, <laughs> by the initial Fred Savage scene. I was just like, Oh, they knew,
1: and you were a Wonder Years fan, so like you were really in it. I did like Wonder Years. It was one of those shows that
0: I had a period of liking it, but I fell out of watching it like pretty quickly. I remember really um, loving it, but I I don't
1: think I ever watched the show in order. You
0: know, like it was always just on Nick at Night or whatever, and I would catch it and always enjoyed it. I remember watching, I think episodes live. When was the show on? Oh gosh,
1: yeah, probably. I mean, it would have been, like, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Right?
0: Wonder years. Yeah, 88 to 93. I remember watching some new episodes. When it was airing live. Anyway, Fred Savage, I always (laughs) thought was cool. Um, Yeah, it's great. But I, I don't think at that point, I mean, I knew what frame narratives were. But I think... It kind of blew my mind the use of the frame narrative in this movie. Yeah. And reminded me in some ways of uh, like a less intense version of the never ending story. Mm-hmm. But right. that similar, like, real world kid gets swept up in the tale yeah. of the fantasy. That was kind of um, an aesthetic back then. Yeah. So I, yeah, I remember watching it in school and like loving it, buying it on DVD almost immediately. <laughs> huh after that as so i had the the dvd of it and then it was something that i think we watched like two to three more times in high school in just different classes oh wow yeah it got shown interesting got shown a lot wow. and there were times i think there was at least one time like the class voted to watch it <laughs> and you voted as well at that point yeah <laughs> just be like hell yeah i'll watch princess bride so again, in this so.
1: literature class did you read the princess bride the, the original novel there's a novel oh Oh, wow all right we got a lot to get into yeah no i had no idea okay because to me that's that's a fascinating part of the discussion but i am interested to hear is there more to princess bride in your life like i'm sitting here surprised because i'm the one who picked the princess bride and i'm someone who does not have a history of this movie at all like i know a lot of people love it uh it's a huge part of many people's lives. But I feel like if it is a huge part of someone's life, like I hear about it and know about it. And I've never heard you talk about this movie. So it's really surprising me, to me to hear that you've seen it several times. And this was, I would say my first official viewing of the movie.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I I mean, I think I've watched it more than five times less than 10 times though it it was one that was in a rotation where I just used to put movies on throughout the day while I'd work um so I've seen it a lot in that way but yeah I've definitely seen it like approaching 10 times but it has been a long time like I think this might have been the first time I've watched it in the eight years I've lived in Austin and did you do you remember it as well as you thought you would uh yeah uh to the point where like i was still quoting a lot of things before yeah (laughs) they happened there were a few things that i didn't quite remember as well or was like like oh yeah they're eels like i remembered the eels before (laughs) we got to the eels but i had forgotten kind of like a little bit of that scene or um like the quicksand and being like oh man (laughs) she fell into quicksand she really goes in there yeah, just like straight down. <laughs> um, so yeah, for the most part, I recalled pretty much everything. Nice. Um, yeah. So I, I so I, I
1: had seen this movie. Like it, I think it played on Comedy Central. I think, or like TNT or USA. Who knows? But I have this feeling it played on Comedy Central. Um, and I had definitely seen like scenes from the movie. Like, I I watched this movie with my wife. I bought it on 4K, the Criterion Collection 4K, and was excited to watch it. It was like finally going to be like my first official viewing of the movie, of this movie everybody loves. But my memory of the movie was always kind of like, it's just kind of ordinary, you know? Uh, Yeah. It's just a straightforward movie, it's a fairy tale movie. I just was never enlivened by the. Uh, premise of it and I never thought it would be something I would connect to that deeply but wanted to watch it like thought it would be interesting like all the people in it and my wife is a huge fan of the movie she watched it a ton growing up knows all of the lines in the movie She, <laughs> my, my wife was she was uh, reflecting on the movie and she's like oh man like in that moment where dread the man in black is wearing the mask and you don't know who's in the mask. <laughs> and like I just remember not knowing who it was and wondering and I was just like, really? Like you didn't know it was Kerry Owens? Like it's clearly him. And then she was like, I think I knew, but I liked pretending that I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Which I feel like that alone perfectly captures what this movie was to kids. Like it has that air. Like it's just kind of fun and light and plays with the fairy tale formula in a very engaging Engaging way um it's like participatory in that way you're hearing the story being read and you're really part of these characters and like you're not supposed to know things but you really do know what's going to happen because it's it's all tropes and it's all the standard structure for this romantic fairy tale story blah 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 um but i so anyway heading into this viewing i i wanted to as much as i wanted to enjoy it i assumed that i wouldn't love it uh, I-, I liked owning it on 4k, especially since like my wife loves it. And I assume we're going to be watching a lot with my kids and stuff. So having a 4k was important to me, but beyond that, I was like, am I going to really like it that much? Um, and so, yeah, that was my mentality heading into this viewing.
0: Oh man. And is it something that your wife, you would hear like your wife and your <laughs> siblings like quoted or refer to it a lot. They, okay. So I realized as I was watching this movie,
1: while we were watching it there were moments i was like oh like that's why your dad says that (laughs) (laughs) like what does the guy say um the the priest when he's marrying them he goes marriage marriage yeah yeah her dad would always say that and like i had no idea what i meant
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh man so you're just like why does this guy say marriage all funny
1: i i guess i knew it was from a movie and maybe was even told at one point but but wouldn't remember that what movie it was from you know that's pretty awesome
0: Um, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it would be a strange movie just to see, like, bits and pieces of. I, much like uh, Lauren, did not realize on first watch that it was Wesley, but... (laughs) Really? I mean, I had to have known. Carrie Owens,
1: only one person has that chin, and it's Carrie Owens.
0: Yeah, like, the eyes are similar, but there was just something, like, I remember how... The moment I fell in love with the movie was when she pushes him down the hill and he <laughs> is rolling and goes, as, as you, wish. you wish. Pretty good. And she just flings herself down the <laughs> hill after him. I know. Those those
1: stunt people must have got, they better have gotten a raise for that performance. I hope so. Because that was, it that was dangerous. Well it reminded me of the scene in Hot Rod when he tumbles down oh, the hill. Oh, yeah. yeah yeah. just over and over like it it was was also the moment i fell in love with hot rod
0: (laughs) yeah that's easily the best scene in hot rod uh but there was there was just something about that moment that i recall being like oh my goodness like just it having that that lasting effect and part of that would probably be the reveal of oh my god it's wesley right but it's clearly, I mean, I was watching it this time and I was like, how does it she know it's Wesley? <laughs> like, I know. So I hope I wasn't that silly as like a 16 year old, <laughs> but also at the same time, you know, it's a small TV. Oh yeah.
1: You, you can't really see it's total. You were probably in the back of the room too.
0: I always sat in the front. Chris, just say you're in the back of the room. Yeah. Be cool. Be cool. <laughs> uh <laughs> But still, small
1: ass TV. Yeah, um, we're in Ohio, so it's smaller than your usual box TV in a classroom.
0: Yeah, and it was definitely, no, it had to have been a DVD, right? It was it a VHS. It might have been a VHS. I, in the 90s, you're probably watching a VHS. Oh, this was
1: 2003. Oh, 2003. Okay. Yeah, so you're right on the edge. It could have been a DVD.
0: <laughs> it could have been, indeed, it could have been a VHS. Um, it's Ohio, it was a VHS. It, was, it could have been well, a Laserdisc here in Ohio. But <laughs> there's uh, some some song about Cleveland, like Cleveland tourism video, and it's like where you can buy a house for the price of a VCR. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you won't be able to buy a VCR to put in that house. <laughs> no. you used VCR all your money, money on the house. Yeah, went to the house. Uh, okay, so what did you think on this viewing? Um, so I, I... <laughs> when I did pick
1: this movie... For the show, like I wondered, I did have a fear of like, is this a good movie to pick? Because a, I didn't know if you were a fan of the movie. Now that I know you're a fan of the movie, that's good. Like, I feel like we've we can nap the people who have always been a fan of the movie. You could just hear someone like geek out about the movie, you know. Um, but I am on the other end where like I don't even know this movie. I don't know all of the quotes, even though I actually did know some of the quotes as it was going. Like, you know, the Anigo Montoya. I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. Um, but I, I kind of wondered, like, it, does this movie warrant the kind of discussion we do in this show? Because we could obviously just talk about the characters and how the movie explores the characters and its story and all that. But on a broader level, like I'm thinking about something like Robocop, where there's there's an external element to talk about, the satire and its commentary and all that, you know? I was like, is the princess bride going to have anything like that? And the framing device definitely sets the stage for there to be a deeper discussion. But as the movie carried on, I really started to realize how much there is to talk about with this movie and how it actually is really smart and is making really smart commentary on storytelling and fairy tales and true love like it actually has a really deep message about you know true love and (laughs) beyond how it's presented in fairy tales and all that and um yeah just so as it kept going on i realized how good it was and that it's not just a movie for kids and remembering the kind of movie you just remember from when you were a kid like it's for adults in that way It, it actually challenges you and has interesting things to say and has characters that transcend the archetypes we see in fairy tales. And and in that way, it's challenging. And so, yeah, I like while I'm watching it, it's it's so effortless, effortlessly enjoyable that I was like, wow, like, I don't know if I've seen a movie like this in a long time. And then in retrospect, the more and more I've thought about it, especially as I've read more about William Goldman and his original novel and what he Intended to do with the book and then with the movie, he wrote the screenplay for the movie. I've just been really fascinated by this movie, and I I don't think I'm gonna I I don't think it's fair to say I love it in the way like someone who watches a kid can love it. You know, like that's a special connection. But
0: I really, really do love it, and I can't wait to watch it more and more, especially with my kids. That's awesome to hear. Because as as I was watching, I was like, "There's just no way that (laughs) Travis isn't laughing." At all of this, or like, yeah. endeared by some of this dialogue and some of these like moments, I still think the the thing that jumps out to me in thinking about like the kinds of discussions that we have on the show, it just comes down mostly to like a lot of the the structure and setups and payoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the thematic stuff, there definitely is stuff to get into, but the thing that's always impressed me a bit more has been just how this movie was written and what you're saying too about it's not just for kids Uh, you get that even in the initial dynamic between fred savage and peter falk Mm -hmm. which just what great casting in the sense that like fred savage at that point was kind of this like it kid oh no this came out before wonder years didn't it like wonder years before yeah yeah 88 so at this point like he wasn't even an it kid but he's embodying like the child perspective yeah. and even me when I was 15 16 watching this I identified with Fred Savage and then as an adult you know I feel much more on or even after watching it the first time you identify more with Peter Falk right yeah totally. because it's not just the the youth and the old age it's the innocence versus experienced where fred savage is so innocent in the sense of he doesn't know what he's in for and peter falk is experienced not just in terms of being the grandpa and like wiser but he knows the story and how good the story is and that's the same experience that people are going to have with the movie Where they tell a friend, like, oh, you haven't watched Princess Bride? They feel like the Peter Falk character. (laughs) And, like, the friend that they're showing it to or the family member they're showing it to is the Fred Savage. Like, Lauren was the Peter Falk. Right. Right? Totally. And you were the Fred Savage. (laughs) And now you get to be the Peter Falk from now on. Yeah. Which is funny because
1: she is the Columbo of our relationship. (laughs) She's always problem solving. And I'm just
0: in here like, huh? Yeah, you you think you're done with the discussion. She starts to walk away and she turns around and she goes, one more thing, though. <laughs> one more thing. Ah, Columbo humor. Something yeah. that I've always wanted on this show that we've just never had the opportunity.
1: It's for all the Gen Zers out there who definitely know who Columbo is.
0: Yeah. I Wasn't there somebody that was posting, like, Columbo episodes to TikTok? And it was becoming, like... <laughs> Good. Give that person, a thing. like, any sort of award we can give them. I know it's just Columbo's such a. My dad watched it all the time, and I remember feeling very Fred Savage about it, (laughs) and be like, "What is this? This guy in a code." Yeah, memories of it too. Yeah. Oh, he's smart. Like he's gonna figure it out. (laughs) Like he he already knows. I
1: I was an Encyclopedia Brown fan, but same thing. Same thing, of course, of course. Um,
0: yeah, but having that structure, and then the the thing that gets me each time is just how entertaining the chase is (laughs) where (laughs) Wesley's chasing down, um, Vizzini. Yeah. Just the three trials that he faces, the way in which, uh, Inigo is so charming, the way that physic is so charming. It's really entertaining seeing the different, tests that he has to overcome uh-huh. and it's a it's a very much a fairy tale trope but the characters make it dynamic the sword fighting i remember Crazy. that was one of the things where i was just like oh they're like well you, do you know the story behind
1: the sword fighting no okay so i mean it's not much of a story actually it's really cool like that's them you know that's carrie always and uh, Mandy manny doing the sword fighting And they knew nothing about sword fighting before going into this. So, like, they each practiced their moves and they went to do it. And Rob Reiner, once they got the set, Rob Reiner, the director, was just, like, blown away by how good they were at it. Like, he didn't expect that. He thought it would be a little bit more of, like, kind of a careless, throwaway, like, comical sword fight, I guess. But, like, they were good. And he's like, oh, like, we need to do more with this. So, they extended the sword scene and they found out whatever the longest sword dueling scene was in a movie and they're like we're gonna go longer than that like one second longer than that (laughs) Um, wow and so yeah they just kept working on it and like they would kind of like improv a little bit like they would like they would basically be forming the sword fight as they went and like figuring out how to play with the environment like when they got when he gets pushed up against the boulders and like one falls off the side of the cliff you know like that wasn't originally part of it. It was something they decided to work in and yeah. So it, it's just amazing that it is so entertaining because you have these awesome actors talking the whole time it's going on, but that the fact that they're doing it well, like, I mean, it was just a, I say this a lot in the show, this, this sort of sentiment, but it, it was this moment you're like, you don't see modern movies do that kind of thing anymore, do you? Like, (laughs) it it was just so practical and real in a way that I appreciated.
0: Yeah. And a thing that I harp on a lot, not a lot of cuts. (laughs) Yeah. Which meant that you were very immersed in the fact that they were the ones doing this. And you got to actually appreciate the fact that not only did he just do that move, but we saw the sequence of moves all in one shots, which yeah. meant they were all like they were performing that rather than it being like a cut to the sores clashing, to the face, to a spin, to sure. this, that. And that does not do the same thing for me that just like the simplicity of the filmmaking that brings out the, uh, the high quality of the performance. A, a big tractor just went by outside my window, uh. so I was... <laughs> I was distracted by what it was and how long it's going to be there. (laughs) Well, I mean, you're totally right.
1: Like I, I, you have talked about that a lot in the show and how you appreciate like a lack of cuts, which I I can go either way. Like if a scene is done well and there are lots of cuts, like there's a certain beauty and fluidity to something like that, that I think in the right movie, you know, in the right context and setting thrives but in this kind of movie like that kind of scene wouldn't work it really helps to just let a sword let this duel play out like let them talk in real time like it 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 gains so much power by having that fairy tale feel
0: it's part of the aesthetic yeah yeah and totally the practice the practical (laughs) the thing about modern movies don't do this was also like top of mind for me as well Just with them rolling down the hill, it was something else where it's just like... (laughs) it's, It's a movie that felt like very lived in in that way or very lived rather than performed, which I think that's what jumps out to me a lot about some modern movies is that with how much green screen there is, with how much CGI there is, it feels a little more theatrical... Mm -hmm. than what the allure that like movies have for me a lot of the time in terms of being immersed in in an actual place and seeing actual things done where the stage can be very immersive in a way as well, but you're pretending that they're at a location. Mm -hmm. You're pretending that it's not just a theater with a stage and you're in the room looking around. There's a different quality to that and movies never i didn't feel that movies had that quality as much until very recently especially watching so many old movies as of late it's just hitting me harder and harder and this one is definitely one that has that kind of impact with just how practical (laughs) so much of it is and you just feel like there are people with a camera out and about doing things yeah and that's impressive
1: I feel like this movie came out like I don't have enough examples to back this up but like just thinking about all the movies I've watched and like when they were made this this movie feels like it came out at a time when that sort of there was a transition away from that like we movies were becoming less and less practical and feeling real and um I guess the way I would put it is less pretentious (laughs) and more concerned with like product and like maybe lots of cuts is like one way to put it, but less concerned with creating something just like magical, you know, like transcendent and fairy tale esque. Like there, I feel like there were just less and less movies like that. And I was watching the um, special features for this movie and Rob Reiner talks about how, like, he always wanted to make, he wanted to turn The Princess Bride into a movie. It was released in 1973 as a novel. And he always wanted to do it, but never could get it made. Like, studios would always say, like, no, like, we can't do that. It's too corny. It's too cheesy. It's a fairy tale. Like, that kind of thing doesn't work in a movie. And that's, in turn, like, what makes it work so well? Because you don't see movies do this. Movies, like, there is a little bit of an air of pompousness to a lot of movies in that way and that they would never just be as naked as this movie is, like, as uh, so appealing to, like, a a child's mind, you know? Like, so simple. Um, So that's, that's what makes it really hit. That's what makes it so engaging is that It is really simple. (laughs) It doesn't, it isn't concerned with having like this grand overarching message that isn't just kind of screamed at you by the characters and by the framing device of the film. Like you kind of get what it's doing. Uh, And because you get what it's doing, I think in turn is what makes it so deep and so engaging and so easy to engage with and comprehend. Like when those things are done, when you just kind of wear what you are on your sleeve, that's what can make a movie thrive. Movies can be ambiguous. They can, they can be deeper in quotes and smart in another way, but there's no reason a movie can't be smart in this way. And I, and I feel like that is especially apparent these days in modern film, the last like five to 10 years, like you wouldn't almost never see a movie be like this, you know, like it has to, it's taboo to do anything like this. You have to go through all of these hoops and you have to, I'm thinking of Midsummer. We just watched Midsummer. Like, that's the kind of movie that studios want and people are looking for more these days, you know? And something like this
0: is seen as silly. I feel like movies like this have been, storytelling like this has been relegated mostly to Disney and Pixar or DreamWorks. Like, a lot of the animated movies will still still have, like, uh, Turning Red was one that I watched last year Mm -hmm. that just charmed me to no end and i was just like this is such like a a nice straightforward kind of thing but it's relegated to this kind of you know cgi yeah like animated film because it's easier to make rather than to go the the practical route and spend all the extra money on the actors and everything like even teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mayhem for this year like pretty obvious in what it's doing, but it's so smart and enjoyable and dynamic and cool. Uh, It's a great movie, but it's another one that's like, it has to be in the animated category to have that kind of opportunity. It is a shame. Maybe I'm missing out on a bunch of like wonderful, like live action (laughs) (laughs) movies that bridge the gap between like kids and adults. But if there's like another Princess Bride out there, I don't think I've, I've seen it. Yeah.
1: And I think another huge reason I was connecting with this movie and thinking about movies these days and what I don't like about movies these days is, so Chris, you didn't know there was an original novel for this.
0: No. Yeah. Tell me about this. The original
1: novel by William Goldman, who wrote the screenplay for the movie, is called The Princess Bride, colon, S. Morgenstern's classic tale of true love and high adventure, The Good Parts Version. <laughs> and he originally wrote this book. He's written several books and wrote and written uh, other screenplays. Um but for this book he asked his daughters like what do you want my next story to be about? And one of them said princesses and one of them said like one said a princess and one said a bride. So he just went, okay, it'll be called The Princess Bride. <laughs> and it kind of like that alone really that story alone informs what kind of story it is? Like it's so typical. Like the title, "The Princess Bride." Like it. It makes it just seem so obvious that it's a fairy tale book that you've read this a million times. You know what it's going to be, and that it shouldn't catch your attention. And the book very much plays with that idea because it's not just a book. <laughs> Archer loves Princess Bride, by the way. I. the truck going i trying
0: m- muting my microphone but <laughs> uh it's still going
1: this is this is what live podcasting is all about as far as I'm concerned
0: I know this is uh this is the beauty this is the pain <laughs>
1: but um so so the book itself like it is commenting on fairy tales in that way because it's not just somebody it's not just the story of Buttercup and Wesley. It's it's it has the framing device that the movie has, but it does it in a different way. It's the the book is being read by a guy who loved The Princess Bride. This book, The Princess Bride, as a kid. The The Princess Bride isn't a real book. Like everything in the book is made up. But his dad used to read him, The Princess Bride, But what he didn't know is that his dad would cut out all of the boring parts, Uh, like all of the political commentary, all of the exposition. Uh, He would just like he would just read the good parts. Uh, So that was the approach with the novel. It's called The Good Parts Version is that he's telling this story. He's now reflecting on the story as an adult and just talking about the good parts of the book. So that's in turn what the movie becomes. And you even see Peter Fox's character in the movie doing that. Like he'll like skip ahead, like past some parts in the book. Like he's just skipping to the good parts to keep his son engaged. And I just really love the idea of that. Because to me, the biggest detriment to movies these days, the least sexy thing a movie can possibly do is just overwhelming me with dumb exposition, Meaningless conversation. Like, I thought of Midsummer while watching this. Like, I thought of that scene where, um, uh, is her name Danny, the uh, Florence Pugh's character?
0: Sure. <laughs> I think
1: that's her name. When her boyfriend and the other guy are like arguing about their um, dissertation or whatever. Yeah. And that scene lasts like five minutes. <laughs> They're just sitting there like arguing, like, you knew I wanted to do this. And the guy's like, well, we can both do it. And it's a completely useless conversation that means nothing, adds nothing, and is boring to watch. And like I just can't help but think like so many movies these days indulge in that way of just stuff that is not interesting to me. And it really made me appreciate Princess Bride that it is literally the good parts. Like it just shows you the stuff you care about, like people interacting with each other and achieving catharsis and Um, realizing things about themselves and reconnecting like every part in this, like you can have all of those parts and still give us the information we need that we would get in any expository scenes. Like it just is concerned solely with entertaining you while giving you a good story that has all the parts that make it deep and make you think about it and reflect on yourself and all that. Um, So I, I love that that was the goal with the book originally, and then, like, that's how he translated it to the movie. Like, he's kind of switched the concept a little bit by having, like, the granddad reading to the grandson, but still, like, keeps the spirit of that idea and writing a book for his own daughters in a smart, engaging way Over like, here are just the parts that are going to make you interested and entertained and all that.
0: Yeah. I mean, that comparison to uh midsummer it just <laughs> has me thinking It like that scene you're supposed to get that christian is a dick not only to danny but also to his friends which is i guess supposed to set up us feeling okay about <laughs> him eventually Interesting approach yeah die but the the real flaw i don't even think is is the scene going on for so long. It's the way in which the movie fails to handle its secondary characters in any kind of meaningful way. Like the story with, um, I forget. It's, isn't that the, it's not the actor from the good place. Is it?
1: I don't think so. If I have like the main guy in the good place, like her romantic pair. Yeah.
0: William Jackson Harper. Is it really him? Yeah.
1: Oh, wow okay all
0: right yeah 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 cheaty nice i did i did not realize that i've never really watched the good place so it's fantastic like i heard other people say it's fantastic and i was like (laughs) no i princess bride did it i was like no it's not and then we watched i was just like that is one of the smartest most enjoyable shows i'm sure it's well done probably i I like everybody 15 years yeah it's it's wonderful it it, like the best part is that it doesn't stay stuck in the typical Mm -hmm. like network comedy tropes of just we have to keep everybody in the same place it's not afraid to keep changing things up and expanding while also deepening its core messaging and like where it's taking the characters it's very phenomenal nice but uh, like Josh's character in the film uh, Midsummer just doesn't do anything it's like he's excited uh, to go he gets told by Christian that Christian's Like gonna take this topic, and then he breaks into a room and is a dick himself, and they kill him. So it's (laughs) it's just deep stuff. Yeah, you compare that to like Inigo's story in this, and just that singular arc of I'm trying to find the man who killed my father, and the payoff to that, and the the power of that. It's so well done. Or just like the mini arc with. Vizick uh, or Vizini, of just him being so arrogant and the comeuppance that he has. Like, Vizini's in what, f- 10, 15 minutes of this movie? And you know so much more about him than any of the secondary characters in <laughs> <of> Midsummer. <laughs> and it's
1: played by Wallace Shawn, who
0: can outact any of those people from Midsummer. He's also like rocking the v neck in this. Hell yeah. Even though Wallace Shawn was definitely older when this movie was made, he was was in his forties. He like looks good with that like open, (sighs) like open, like chested shirts, like being all arrogance. Like, man, I love Wallace Shawn. He's, he's a fucking
1: star in this movie. Like he's only in the movie. You're right. Like he's barely in the movie, but he owns every second.
0: Yeah. It's just amazing. the, dialogue he has like the (laughs) the characterization of actually kind of coming off as like pretty smart but then revealing like the various aspects of being a tyrant being a dick and then being so stupid by the end yeah and some of the some of the thematic takeaway that you can take from like the performance aspects of what he's doing but also overthinking and the true like intelligence of wesley in comparison mm-hmm. and i love the fact that it presents the puzzle of which glass is the poison in and us sitting there being like uh oh, which one's he gonna pick which one is it da, 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 da. only for it to be both yeah it's such a nice little like twist of oh of course and he just he just (laughs) (laughs) he just had built up a tolerance to the poison like that's the trick yeah um the other thing i was thinking about with this was the reveal of wesley Mm -hmm. um which you were surprised by as well as my wife yeah uh, as as children but sure you did you definitely didn't still think it was him no no uh i feel like a worse movie actually would have indulged in that a lot longer yeah and tried to make that mystery uh more of a central point of the film yeah rather than just being like all right <laughs> like 30 minutes <clears throat> in we're going to like make the reveal you all kind of know but now we're going to move <clears throat> on to the next thing
1: only the good parts
0: yeah it's just one of those things that i think makes this movie so enjoyable is that it's a series of events, like truly rather than getting bogged down in just the one thing and dragging that out for a period of time, it's a number of different chapters and journeys and instances that keep it having that sense of momentum and giving it all of these different dynamics and aspects that allow it to dip a toe in different genres, to highlight different characters, have different settings and uh, like, moments that stand out because they are part of just a a brief arc or chapter of this film yeah i think that's an underutilized technique in some movies
1: totally yeah i was thinking about a lot of the like all the kind of stuff you're saying about the actual story with these characters like the story that the grandfather's reading heading into this movie i was like how much can we really talk about like even if the movie's really well done if these characters like all we're really going to do is gush at how well it did and it is kind of what we're doing but it it it, like it's really hard to capture just how well it does it like it it transcends in a way that movies that are clearly trying so much harder to do and trying to throw in all these things like you saying a move a lesser movie would have kept the man in black a secret longer like most, almost every movie in the world would do that. (laughs) Like every movie ever does that kind of thing and draw something out, which makes you realize like how kind of stupid it is when something like the princess bride just abandons it immediately and gets to the good part where like they're back together. Like that's, that's what you want. Like you want to see these people together. Like that's what engages you. That's where you see yourself and, and can love these characters like being back together. Like that's what movies and stories are all about is these sort of uplifting, transcendent moments that bring people together. It's uh, it's just really amazing how effortlessly the movie does that with pretty much every single important character. <laughs> <laughs> like they all achieve catharsis. They all get what they need, and they all thwart like the shitty people who who need to be vanquished. It's it's awesome. Yeah, I
0: the story that you talked about like in the novel version kind of the the frame mm-hmm. narrative and the commentary it reminds me of a a book i read called pale fire oh it reminds me of a Ooh. couple of things there's pale fire by vladimir Nabokov. yeah
1: i think you've told me about this you must have just told me about this movie about this book because that'd be the only way i'd know about it
0: yeah it was my what my senior thesis was <sighs> or my like thesis in college for like my major was on it but it starts off with this guy saying that he's giving like a critical evaluation of a poem by John Shade. Mm-hmm. And it starts off very academic and then descends pretty quickly to where you're like, is this person mentally unwell? <laughs> and then it's a poem by John Shade, which is like 30 pages. And then it's the critical commentary presented in a very academic way by the guy from the opening. But he's legitimately insane. Mm-hmm. And you see the way in which he like stalks John Shade and all of this background and the narrative unfolds through this commentary on the poem. And so it keeps referring back to the poem, but then going off into tangents about what was happening as John Shade was writing the poem. It's, it's pretty cool, but there's that there's also, um, Oh, um, Don Quixote, has a lot of a lot of frame narratives like most of Don Quixote is Don Quixote going somewhere meeting somebody and then them telling him a story and you get the background then they try to solve it mm-hmm. it's very like Princess Bridey in some ways mm-hmm. um, and then there's the famous uh, Borges uh, short story where it's somebody who rewrites <laughs> the short story is a critical analysis of of somebody who rewrites Don Quixote Mm -hmm. uh, from memory. But every single word is the same exact word as in the original Don Quixote. So it's almost just like a reprint. But the critic (laughs) that's the focus of the story ends up praising the newer work as superior to the older one because it came out, you know 200 years later mm-hmm. so when you're putting it in context of what this story might be in reference to it has to include 200 years of politics and history and Correct. events that the previous one didn't which is pretty fascinating yeah. but it's interesting having those like very highbrow <laughs> yeah literary uh instances of that and then seeing the way somebody used it for a much more friendly version of events to tell this story but in a unique way of getting into it and around it and commenting on it that makes it very meta yeah while at the same time being very engaging yeah I love that yeah and I think the way this movie does it like
1: obviously the framing device is a big part of it but it, uh, to me it really clicked actually at the end of the movie when Peter Fox says as you wish to Fred Savage yeah. which like that moment in the moment when I watched it I was like okay like cheesy way to end the movie like that's it's nice but um, it just feels like such a thing a movie would do you know but uh, upon reflection like it really is an incredible moment because it, the, the story with you know Wesley and Buttercup like that entire story is so well done that it's hard to complain about it um and even the the carrie elwitt even wesley saying like as you wish like and connecting it to peter falk like it seems so obvious yet when you think about what william goldman's trying to accomplish with the movie when he's only telling the good parts when he just wanted to create a story that was commenting on fairy tales by having all of these characters that are seeming archetypes of what you typically experience in a fairy tale, but having them kind of transcend that and do things you wouldn't expect the characters to do and taking the story above and beyond what you would typically expect from a story that's depicting true love, you know, like that's such a central theme of the movie is true love. What does true love look like? The movie is trying so hard to convince you of like what true love is that these people Love each other more than anybody else in the world. Like, how do you accomplish something like that? And it's not really the point for the movie to make you believe that. Like, you do just because the story is so well done and you love the character so much that you're just like, fine, fuck it. Like, they love each other more than anybody. I love that. But I think the true kicker is when Peter Falk says, as you wish, at the end, is that it's not real. The point isn't really to make you realize. Oh, Wesley and Buttercup have true love. It's to show what stories can do that this 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 thing, this true love thing that's in the book, that can be replicated in real life. Like when Peter Fox says, as you wish, it's him, much like Wesley expressing to Buttercup, like his love for his grandson and his ability to show the power of stories and what they can do for like you know a little sick kid this kid who was rolling his eyes at a kissing scene and wants to hear it at the end like he's exposing his kid to these things and it's just such an incredible meta technique that shows the power of fairy tales more than just the fairy tale can do like it, it brings it into the real world and shows like oh like this is true love. Like it, it's not just something written on a page of two fictional characters. Like these two people embody something very real that the grandfather is now recreating for his grandson and showing him something. It's that's just such an incredible thing to do. And like why this movie is so perfect again for both kids and adults and why th- this kind of movie to me feels truly timeless. And people always say like timeless, you know, it's used in like critical reviews, but like, this movie's kind of timeless in that way. <laughs> like, is it ever not going to be relevant? Are people ever not going to be showing this movie to their kids and like forging that connection? And then those kids show the movie to their kids. Like, it, I feel like this is just going to be a cycle for forever.
0: And yeah, you kind of gave me goosebumps when talking about that, because it really is the core key thing, because... Everybody talks about with fairy tales; they are often parables, right? Uh You're supposed to take a lesson away from them, and some are just for entertainment, right? But you know, you hear about Rumpelstiltskin or Pinocchio. There's always some kind of like, like takeaway or lesson or real world application in the most famous of them. And even with movies, I think you sometimes get the the dramatization. You're like, well, that's just the movie. But the framing device being in reality and the fantasy parts of the movie being so like within the real world of it Mm -hmm. allows us to have that degree of takeaway when Peter Falk says that because it's the lesson that people, if they just saw the fantasy elements, they'd be like, well, you know, that's an exaggerated take on true love. Real life isn't necessarily like that. Or, you know, there is a there is a, a real-life version of that, but you don't make the next connection. Mm-hmm. Or it's on you to make that next connection, which a lot of viewers may not do. Right. By just using the frame narrative to have Peter Falk deliver that line, it says everything. It tells everything while also showing. It's yeah. such a, a moment of not just, is it this lovely? And this is what love is between... You know, in the real world, you hear like the fantasy talk of it, but in the real world, it can be as simple as just showing up when someone you love is sick and reading them a story or spending time with them. is it that lovely? But the actual direction that it's telling people and educating people of these aren't just stories, but they're things that can have real-world applications and things that you can bring into the real world is also very meta and important and serves a point as well about just the beauty of storing storytelling and the power of storytelling so on the one hand the storytelling aspect doesn't matter at all it's mostly just letting people know how you show love to people you care about in some subtle ways and what love in the real world looks like but then there's also this meta storytelling elements that's incredibly important and as you said timeless and relevant yeah that's just so smart yeah that that was
1: like again like the whole framing technique that happens right at the very beginning when you see the grandfather sitting now it was kind of like not rolling my eyes but like oh i've seen this before you know it's nothing new necessarily but man the movie just does it so well like that ended up being my connection to like i feel like <laughs> Again, I don't want to say I can love this movie as much as someone who saw it when they were a kid, but, like, I feel like I kind of do. Like, it, it made me... I, I didn't really grow up reading fairy tales. Like, I don't have
0: memories of fairy tales being read to me. Do you really? Uh, Yeah, we had some books. Like, I had a lot of the the gold label books. Mm-hmm. Is that what they called them? Um, And then we always had Christmas books that my, like, mom would read to me okay. on Christmas Eve all the time.
1: Nice. Yeah,
0: but I, so
1: it made me like, I want to go out and buy some fairy tales. (laughs) Like I I want to read them to my kids. Like it's, I don't know. This movie has, it's just incredible that this movie has that kind of power.
0: It's uh, a random aside, but one of my favorite books as a kid was called Little Blue Cat and the Smiley Worm Doll. (laughs) And it was just about like these anthropomorphized like kid cats that all had their favorite toys. And, you know, one had a basketball, another had like a skateboard whatever it was. And this one had a beat up smiley worm doll that it would carry around. Mm -hmm. And one day it loses it. And the story is it going all around, talking to its friends, talking to people in the town, and then having to like feel really sad about losing its smiley worm doll. And finally, I think it's his grandpa or just like, you know, old nice guy in town stitches him together a new one. And presents to him, like, a new Smiley Worm doll. But they also (laughs) happen to find the old Smiley Worm doll. So then Little Blue Cat ends up with both the old and the new Smiley Worm dolls. Right. And uh, my dog (laughs) has a green dinosaur that was, like, a PetSmart $5, like, donate to other dogs kind of thing. And I ended up donating one but also buying one and brought it home, and it's been his favorite toy for, like, multiple years, and it started to get really beat up, so I ordered another one off of eBay, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it came, and now he has both his, like, old green dino and his new green dino, and carries, like, both of them around, (laughs) or, like, will swap between each of them. Yeah, But I love that. Yeah, fairy tales in, like, real life, where you just see, like, you know, a little blue cat and a smiley worm doll, and then you see, like, a real world dog in his green Dino.
1: Uh, random aside: my my daughter's favorite toy does change a lot. She started getting into like stuffed animals in the last few months, and nice. for a while, panda was her favorite. But currently, her favorite is a purple purple platypus called Patty. And it <laughs> Patty would absolutely platypus. melt your heart to hear her say Patty <laughs> and just like wonder where Patty's at. It's it's destroying me.
0: Oh, that's adorable yeah fairy tales
1: <laughs> so yeah i uh i gosh i i yeah i i love this movie
0: i'm a fan of this movie now <laughs> good yeah i mean it it hits it works yeah. if it was just the fantasy i don't think it would be it would still be charming but i don't think it would be like a classic no no
1: I mean, yes, you're totally right. Like it would just be like, wow, like you can't believe all these people came together and did this. But the fact that it's a story being read and that like there are constant interruptions, which to me, in my mind, is part of fairy tales. Like you read a fairy tale to a kid and like they stop you and ask questions. I don't know. This movie just has a certain energy that allows that story to. I don't know. It just it just hits a little bit more deeply.
0: Yeah. I uh, I really like Robin Wright's performance as well. Like oh gosh, she's, she's her and like Carrie Elwes are just like so great in this. Yeah. Like Carrie Ellis is still like so handsome. <laughs> like when you watch this, <laughs> it's just like the perfectly like chiseled face. Totally. And then Robin Wright's just like the perfect, just like country beauty. Yeah but i was so much more entertained this time by uh prince Humperdink and oh, count yeah. rugen we're like Humperdink; it was just cracking me up when he's doing the the chase for buttercup because he's in on it he's the one that hired vizini in yeah. the first place right right but as he's like going around and just saying like the grand statements of like if a hair is harmed on her head ah <sighs> uh, and just being so, like, extra about it. And at first, you might actually, like, take him seriously. But then now, having watched it so many times, you're just like, oh, what a little, like, performing piece of shit. Um, <laughs> right. And then Christopher, Christopher Guest is Guest. Count Rugen. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah.
1: Love Christopher. I mean, I already was a fan of him. I didn't re- I didn't even realize it was him at first. And he, something seemed familiar about that character. And then I looked it up. I was like, oh, yeah, of course, it's Chris- Christopher Guest.
0: Yeah, he's just the way he stares and stares and plays such a, like a creep is uh, really entertaining. And then, of course, with Billy Crystal and Carol Kane coming in.
1: I had, You know, I had this feeling that like, I know someone is, I've, <laughs> I remember the character of Miracle Max, I feel like from TV. And I was like, oh, I feel like someone plays him. And the second I saw him, I just knew from his delivery, I was like, "Oh, that's Billy Crystal." And <laughs> yeah. then I saw Carol Kane come in, I was like, "Oh, like this is the best pairing ever."
0: I know they just like it's such a brief scene, yeah. and yet they're so <laughs> they're so dynamic and high energy that it's just uh, kind of pretty amazing. Yeah, they destroyed it. <laughs> um. Eh. okay ladies and gentlemen that's the princess bride it's the princess bride and a
1: active corgi <laughs> that's why people come to this show though to, oh yeah to, absolutely to hear are dogs and daughters yelping in the
0: background <laughs> it's what makes us real you know down to earth approachable
1: yeah not this fairy tale stuff you hear in all the other podcasts
0: Oh, no, no.
1: They act all perfect. Yeah, they edit that stuff out. We keep it in, not because we're lazy, but because we want it to feel real. Yeah, no, not the laziness no, no, we, not at all. Yeah, of course we could edit it out, but we have we have more, um, you know, we want this podcast to have that, that feel. We have integrity. Integrity. I couldn't think of a word. <laughs> <laughs> we're not hiding. I was just floating in the ether there for a second. uh okay so time to rank this right yeah completely forgot about that i will go first i so okay when i first watched this movie i was like all right that was great i really liked it engaging good story i like the framing device great movie the more I thought about it, I was like, oh man, like this movie's actually doing quite a bit. That's really interesting. And the more I think about it, the more I love it. And it was making re- me reflect on like certain scenes, you know, like the sword fight and all that. I was like, eh, this movie is like actually pretty awesome. And after writing about the movie and now talking about it with you, I'm, I'm resolved to like, this is like an all time movie. Like it's like, I know I'm going to keep watching this movie with my kids and stuff. And, and by the way, we didn't even talk about how gorgeous this movie looks like watching it on 4k just the use of like the scenery like the mountains and fields the the theatrical sets that are being used like it's just so pretty (laughs) in a way that again i makes me wish movies could do that these days uh like i know i'm just gonna keep watching this movie over and over so i think i'm ready to just go and upgrade it right now to like all time status
0: oh nice
1: um nice figuring it out where it's on my list i I have a feeling that it'll go higher with, as time goes on. But I think right now I have it of the um, 498 movies on my list. <laughs> almost at 500. Um, and these are the movies... We're ranking all the movies we've watched since the start of... I'm ranking them anyway. Of movies I've watched since the start of 2022. Chris's list started in July of 2022. Um, so my list is almost up to 500 movies and I'm going to put the princess bride. I just don't know how to put it, you know, like it's in good company with a lot of these movies here. I guess it's right around. Hmm. I'm going to play it safe for now, which is my way of saying like, I don't want to put it too high (laughs) because I'm riding a high right now and like love this movie. So I'm going to, be conservative and put it at number 63.
0: Okay. That's pretty good. What uh, what tier is that in?
1: <laughs> this is in the transcendent tier. Like this is okay. uh, basically anything in this tier and above are like, I'm like, okay, these are like my favorite movies. Like these are the ones I know that are going to be part of my life. Lo- like these are the kinds of movies where like... <laughs> There are movies that are superb that I'm like, oh, this is above and beyond what I expect a movie to be, and then there are movies that really hit and connect where I'm like, ooh, this like feels part of my DNA now. Like I know this is this represents something about me and how I look at the world and what I really want out of movies and all that. So it's in that category.
0: Okay, nice.
1: In um, the sandwich. Uh, what's the sa- yeah sandwich? This is a, an interesting one. Uh, we got Fast X at the top. Followed by the Fate of the Furious. I know Chris will love that. Um, Then the Princess Bride. Then Groundhog Day. Then Eyes Wide Shut.
0: Man, that is quite a sandwich of movies. That's yeah, I I would eat that on a on a hot summer day. They're all they're all pretty fun, (laughs) except Eyes Wide Shut, which is just like the odd man out in there. Yeah, which is fun in uh, a completely different way
1: they're all very adult movies though
0: yeah oh of course of course nothing more adult than fate of the furious yeah so chris what do you got uh so i revamped my list a little bit um i now have it used to just be like colossal was the top tier and it was that was a mix of ones that i really liked but also just ones that You know, appeal to my sense of scope and scale. But Mm -hmm. I've since revamped the top of the list to be my favorites, which kind of transcend everything else. Yeah. And then, wow, is the stuff that really impressed me, but it's not going into the favorites category. Sure. So some of the stuff that's like in my favorites might be less like good in quotes than some of the stuff in like the wow part. Like I have Cloverfield above All Quiet on the Western Front. Like, I don't think Cloverfield is better than All Quiet on the Western Front, but I like Cloverfield more. That's what it's all about. Yeah. So I currently have 172 movies. Um, and my favorites category is, has 16 right now, and The Princess Bride goes into it. Nice. So I have it at number 14. Um, and the sandwich above it is Past Lives at 12 then the wailing then the princess bride Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh followed by cloverfield and then a 2015 indie movie called too late too late yeah it's this cool john hawks movie i think i told you about it when it came out like i saw it at fantastic fest in 2015 but it's four different chapters or five different chapters that are each like 20 to 30 minutes And, uh, or maybe like 20 minutes. And, um, they're all one shots, each one. Okay. That sounds very Chris Lambert. Yeah. And it's very like murder mystery y. Um, but it's so inventive. The camera work is so cool. The acting is so impressive because they are in that one, that one shot the whole time. It's, uh, it's a really well done and cool movie but it recently played at the draft house here in austin huh? the filmmaker was there so it was cool to get to go see it on the big screen again for the first time in eight years wow
1: yeah i i love uh i have movies like that in my like top tier that i'm like yeah i know this movie isn't better than apocalypse now but like it is <laughs> <laughs> um I, I i actually i think one of those movies i'm going to pick as my
0: next movie next time when i get to pick oh nice yeah I, uh, okay, so I can't decide. There's like five movies that I've been wanting to rewatch. And I think I'm going to let you pick oh, wow. which of those five we do. Okay. Um, though I do have one that I'm kind of leaning towards. but So it's Marquetta Lazarova. Oh, wow. <laughs> Melancholia. Synecdoche, New York. Uh... Hmm. Uh, Wings of Desire or I guess that's it. Those those four. Okay. All movies I've seen.
1: I watched Melancholia. To me, that's the most obvious pick because I feel like maybe there's the most to talk about and maybe like I have the most connection to but I did watch that one most recently. Um, and then Marquetta Lazarova, what, what were the other two? Uh, Wings of Desire and yeah, Synecdoche, New York. Synecdoche, New York could be interesting because I remember not loving it, but I also am a Charlie Kaufman fan and wonder if I just need to watch it again. <laughs> I would love to pick Marquette Lazarova and just nobody knows what we're talking about as we talk about it. <laughs> but I also yeah. really want to watch that movie again too. So, hmm.
0: What are you leaning towards? Uh, Melancholia was the one I was leaning towards. Cause, I mean, it's awesome. Uh, I've, I've seen, I think the only one of these that I've seen twice is Wings of Desire. Um, but Melancholia is one that's like really stuck with me over the years. Um, I mean, they all have, but it's one that I've been like really kind of anticipating. But at the same time, like these other ones have also been creeping in the back of my head.
1: Man, Lars von Trier, like his last few movies to me have been incredible. Maybe starting with Melancholia. Like, I feel like he figured out something there. I mean, yeah, let's watch Melancholia.
0: All right. Melancholia it is. I'm happy to revisit it. Cool. Sweet.
1: And then we should probably write
0: about it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. 1,000%.
1: Okay. Well, get ready for the fun and exciting Melancholia, everybody. <laughs> Uh, nothing like going from the Princess Bride to Melancholia. Actually, I- I'm glad we're doing this because I feel like this always happens with Lars Von Trier's movies, that I watch it, I know I connect with it, but I can't always tell why I connect with it. <laughs> like, it's it's not that the movie is ambiguous or anything, it's just that, like, I don't know, but it, it takes, like, a, med- either a second viewing or, like, reading about it for me to be like, oh, like, that's my in with that movie, so I... It'll be nice to revisit it. Hell yeah. Sweet. Okay, Chris. Oh, man. Are you ready? I'm, I'm ready. Are you ready? Okay, so I don't know if I told you this. Did I tell you this? I don't remember if I did. But last time we tried to do this, we're both trying to say, see ya at the same time, essentially. And last time I listened back to the podcast and it sounded like we pretty much said it at the same time. In your mind, you don't think we ever do, though. No, in my mind, we clearly don't. So, I don't know what's happening here. Like, the the movie gods, like, maybe they're mad because I don't like Midsummer and they make sure we don't time up at the same, you know, line up at the same time. But last time, as far as I can tell, we said it right at the same time. So, I think we can do it again.
0: Liar. Okay. I, uh, <sighs> I'm down. Let's it, do this. Th- there's
1: evidence, Chris. You can go listen to the episode okay
0: <laughs> but sure.
1: okay but it I, I will also say that it doesn't really matter what the episode says like it has to feel right it has to feel like we said it at the same time it's true so okay. here well, we go okay alright everybody quiet on set they already knew they'd be quiet okay here we go yeah. lights
0: camera see ya see ya see ya I'll, I'll give it to you that was better that was better <laughs>